Welcome back to the Queer Circle, where queer healers come to the mic to share their journeys and what they tell their younger selves. Today's guest is Gia Love, a black trans woman, model, advocate, community organizer, and the creator of the Celebration of Black Trans Women Cookout, an annual community gathering centering black trans joy in New York City. Welcome to the circle, Gia. My, like, younger years um, is very, like, I always describe it as, like, I kind of view it as a dream. Like, I can't really concretely and with certainty, like, describe some of, like, my younger years because, um... I feel like I don't know if it's actually real. And also, it's about perspective. So when you ask me, like, a question about how did I come into the world, like, I can only talk about myself, right, and, like, what I experienced or what I remember experiencing. And, you know, that may not be accurate because, like, my mother is a very major part of that, right? So what I will say is that, you know, what I remember... (laughs) Is I remember like um, I so my mom when I the first thing I do remember is like kind of being in foster care. My mother um, was addi- addicted to drugs, um, so uh, we were uh, my my siblings and I were taken um, by the system and placed in like a foster home. So I remember like. Although I don't really remember much before that, only thing I do remember is knowing that the people that we were with, that was not my mom. Like, I knew that. Um, and I remember, um, like, making that very clear. As, like, a three, four-year-old, like, no, you're not my mother, like, type of thing. Um, and that was, like, very short-lived, although it may be longer than I remember, but I just remember it, like be in maybe like two years if that um then we like my mom as i start to like get like gain memory she recovered and entered um like you know like those like programs and stuff like that so we then moved back to the bronx because we were in foster care yonkers and we moved back to the bronx and like I, we were a family again with my mother and my grandmother. Um, we're from the South Bronx, so I oh, I never really start my story with that piece um, because I just I feel like that piece is so like I I I don't want to tell my mother's story, but um, like that's like a major part I guess of my upbringing right and like the start. Um, so, um, like, I, yeah, that, so then I start my story. When we moved back to the South Bronx, I was, like, in kindergarten at this time, and I, uh, we, like, spent a lot of time with my grandmother, I remember, because my mother was in, like, the programs, and, you know, 
that was great. My grandmother was a very um, quiet um, woman who, like, you know, looked after us. And, you know, we just, like, did, you know, we just, like, little kids, like, playing outside. Um, I always remember being, like, like very um, different and, frankly, outcasted from my siblings because of, like, the way I behaved. Um, particularly because, uh, well, there's technically three boys well, four boys and one girl. My mother had four boys and one girl. So, but the thing is, is like my sister's a tom. Well, at that time, we called her a tomboy. So she like fit in with them, and I didn't. I was like, you know, like outcasted. And especially because at that time, everyone characterized me as a boy. You know, there was like a, like a lot of shame around me being with them. Or like, like, like meeting like their friends and stuff like that. So like, I always was like kind of pushed out, um, which always kind of made like I was always the type of person to find my place. So I always found a friend or friends, um, usually females and women, kid little girls at the time. That will just be my friend, and like you know, we would just play and be like do innocent things together. Um, and my mother's the only child, so like, and my grandmother is not the only child, but her sister um, lived in the south, so we really don't have much immediate or family, right? We have like extended family, but I don't even know them. Like the only family that I have is like my immediate family, my siblings, my mom and my grandmother. So like all the time, like we would like my mother's friends or like people in the neighborhood, they will always be like aunts or like cousins to us because we didn't have that. And um, that basically was like kind of the like foundation of like my upbringing in terms of like socializing and um, connecting and being in community with people, there was always kind of a <sighs> I belong but not really type of thing because like it came like from like my, you know, gender expression, also the fact that like I really didn't have a big family. So that was um, something that was very, I, like, I think that stands out for me a lot. And it is also telling in, like, how I am as an adult with how I connect with so many people. And I'm so open to bringing people into, like, the families that I create for myself. Um, and, yeah, we, like, basically lived in the South Bronx. I lived in the South Bronx all of my, like, life, basically, um, until, like, at my adult, as I... I became an adult then I like moved out but just regular like you know like New York City life I was a very um as a kid though like as like a young person I was always that kid I was always the kid like who always fought for what I believed in like literally fought for what I believed in. <laughs> um always had a lot to say 
didn't tolerate any BS, always would defend and advocate for people. Uh, I was the type of kid on the playground that would see someone getting bullied and be like, why are you messing with my cousin? Mind you, I don't even know them. Why are you messing with my cousin? That's my cousin. Okay, well, now you have to mess with me. That was me. Um, <laughs> I used to do that all the time. That was like, that was, I said, I always had that spirit. Um, and um, I, like, the safety for me and a lot of the, like, I would say the healthy love and support that I, like, got was from teachers. Um, for some reason, you know, like, there's always this, like, narrative around, like, white teachers, like, coming into the hood and, like, teaching kids. That really wasn't my experience, and it probably was, but I don't remember that. I remember, like, the of the Latinx teachers and the Black teachers that I always connected with that, like, I still, they're my friends on Facebook today. Like, even, like, my favorite teacher of all time, Miss Alvarado, she hates when I call her that because, you know, she was my teacher from, like, fourth grade through high, through middle school, but, like, we, like, we still have a relationship. I can't call her by her first name. <laughs> it like it, it makes me like it makes my skin crawl when she tells me to stop calling her that. But um, like it was the like the safety and the security, and also I feel that they were like the first people to believe in me. You know what I mean? And like and like I feel love me unconditionally um, because it's like. Even my family, like, they didn't. They didn't know how to, right? They didn't always treat me the best way. They didn't always uplift me and put me on a platform um, and show up for me in the ways that they should have. But my teachers that were, were very instrumental in um, me even being where I am today um, were the first people to show me, like, unconditional love. Um, and like, it wasn't about like, it was like, you know, I remember times where like, like my siblings didn't want me to meet their friends. Right. Or like, they would like literally run away from me so that I wouldn't hang out with them. But like my teachers would bring me to meet their families, have me over for Thanksgiving, have me over for Christmas, buy me presents. Like Miss Alvarado would, um, bring me oatmeal, like in in the morning like from her kids and bring me some too and like it was only me like it wasn't like the other kids like she took a special unique liking and love to me um even like um i had the cookout that i have every well that i'm going to have every i had the first one last year like she cooked a lot of food for it like so like she's just always been like so um loving I'm in a part of my family and like one of the people who has supported me. Um, so that was very important because, you know, as like a kid who was trying to find herself and as a person who really didn't have a space of acceptance and like true support, I had a little bit of it. You know what I mean? Um, and I had it, it like no matter what, like no matter who I was, how I behaved, um, because I had a period in my childhood where I acted out. Um, and I acted out because I was misunderstood. I acted out because the only way I got attention is when I acted out. I didn't get attention if I didn't. You know what I mean? Um, 
So like the only and the only way my mother would come to school was if I acted out. She wouldn't come to school if I did well. So it was like I wanted attention and I, I, I had a period of that. But when I found it was like I remember one day walking down the halls and they had a flyer for the debate team on the wall. And I was like, I love to argue. Everyone knows I'm the best arguer. I will argue and fight you into a box. So we're getting on this debate team. And from that, like that, like that saved my life. Like, I feel like if I would have never joined debate, like I would just, I don't know where I would be. Like um, another part of my story that like, like, you know, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I feel ashamed to talk about it, but um, it's not my fault. And um, I've talked about it before, but it's 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 a shaming experience. And I feel like a lot of queer kids have this experience. Um, when I was younger, um, my mom, like, like, because I was acting out because of the way... Um, I wanted attention, I wanted to be seen, and that was the only way I was seen and got attention. They like put me in special ed, even though like I should not have been there. And for other reasons, right? I was put in there and that really um, was a, it, it became, it was a problem because now I was in a class with a lot of kids who were put in there for the same reasons, <laughs> right? And we probably shouldn't have been there. And we were all just acting out. They were not teaching us the way they should have been teaching us. So, like, I went into there probably, like, on grade level or above and then, like, was in there below because I was never learning what I was supposed to be learning. And when I got to the, um, like, middle school, those teachers, the teachers, like, I, like I imagine having this conversation with a 12-year-old. Miss Vega told me, like, you cannot go into high school in special ed because if you do it would be very hard for you to get out so we need to get you out in middle school you need to do this this is a tw she's talking to a 12 year old um and so when i joined the debate team i had another way to get attention because i was very good at it so then i started to behave I love debate. I wanted to debate. I did not want to get suspended. I did not want to fight. I wanted to go to debate tournaments. And like literally, like I literally started to excel. Like not only did I get out, but I was like in the top class. Like this happened in a year, like literally in a year. Um, like I was prepping for the math A regents, like literally was probably failing this test a year before that. It was literally like they put me in an environment that I should not have been in. And once they took me out of it, I started to thrive. Um, and through debate, I was able to meet people who were like in college. Like when I was in the um, seventh grade, actually, um, I then met this lady named Sarah Ryan who, um, she was a queer woman, she was a lesbian, and she had a partner named Jamie, and they, like, took after me. And basically, Sarah would, like, do a lot of stuff with, the like, the kids. Like, the she ran the resource center in the Bronx. And, like, even though I was not supposed to be going there because I was too young, I was there every day. Like, literally learning, reading, like, 
college level books in the seventh grade. Like, like I love debate. So I was like doing anything and everything I could to be the best debater and prepare myself for high school to really take it to another level. And like in the seventh grade, like she saw something in me or I don't know what, what was her rationale for this, but like they went on a, they went to the Harvard debate tournament and she took me with them. But like, I literally just went, like I was just watching and like just there, like she bought me all these books from the Harvard Square bookstore. So like to be like a black kid from the Bronx and to have that experience, like really opened my eyes. So as I fast forward and I like get to high school and like, you know, now I'm coming into myself. Now other things are starting to take over. Now I'm having sexual orientation questions. They're coming out. Like I'm I'm starting to like, I can't live like this. I'm starting to express my gender differently. Th- those pressures and stresses are starting to weigh on me. It was those moments, like those teachers, those those experiences that a lot of people don't have the privilege of having. And I literally had them by chance because I could have met other teachers and they could have traumatized me. But it was those moments that was able to bring me out of like those moments of like despair and like feeling like, oh, I don't know if I could do this. I remember I, I don't know if I want to finish high school. I hate being around these kids. Um, I'm too smart for this. I'm just going to drop out and get my GED. I literally was at that point like I like junior well it was senior year I was like I'm not going back no more I hate these kids I hate how they are I'm gonna stay home I'm gonna drop out and I'm gonna get my GED because I know I don't need to study and I'm gonna take it and pass it but um then (laughs) some black ACS worker came to my house and was like what's up and it was just so happened, just so happened. I was the only one who didn't go to school, but that day, no one went to school. <laughs> so she was so sweet, and I like, I just came out in the hallway, and she was like, girl, you need to go to school. Just go to school. And, you know, my, um, I was cool with the attendance lady at school, so she used to, like, really, like, call, be like, girl, come to school, or I'm gonna have to call, right? But I was like, I don't want to go to school anymore. And then, like, it was just, like, those moments of, like, remembering, like, people who were there, who was there for me. And I didn't want, like, the work that they did, like, and the love that they showed me to be done in vain. That was just, like, all right. I was, like, fuck it. I'm going to go to school. Like, I'm going to. Then, so then I went from, like, planning to drop out to, um, getting accepted into my first college choice. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> so it was just like my story, like my upbringing, my youth experience was just so, you know, um, just, it was like my specific story, a story. It was a turbulent one, but one that was very, um, it, like it was, I think it was a great one, you know, a story of um, perseverance, overcoming obstacles, support and love in spite of like my circumstance and situation that I was in. And oftentimes such circumstances and situations I could not control. But for me personally, 
as I cap like the, my story and my like how I was like came into this world and my upbringing, um, one of the most instrumental parts of my upbringing was um, meeting my best friend Genovia, who um, we met sophomore year and in 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 high school. So I really quickly I was in name I was in. So when I was in middle school, I was so bad, like, honestly, like, I was, like, really a problem child in, like, sixth and seventh grade, and I started to change in the second semester, seventh to eighth, and I was really good, so I didn't get into any high school I wanted to go to, because you remember, like, once I became a seventh, I started to meet different people with different expansive minds, so now I'm like, oh, I want to go to Bronx Science, I want to go to, like... They was like, uh-uh, baby, we're not taking you. We're not taking you. So I didn't get into any high school I wanted to go to. And this all-boys school came to my high school. And there was, like, a, what I seen at the time, a gay boy with them. Um, different. He expressed himself very differently from the way I expressed myself. But nonetheless, I saw a queer person. And I was like, well, if he can be accepted there, maybe I could be. No, that was not the case. <laughs> so I went to the old boys high school and for the freshman year. And I was just like, this is not. No, no, no. I honestly went because I wanted to. I was like, maybe like, um. Maybe me being around more men would make me more of a man. And um, that was not the case. It was just the wor- one of the worst experiences of my life, actually. Um, and I was like, fuck that, I have to go. And I transferred to um, any school that would take me. And that school was Washington Urban High School. And I went. They had a debate team, so I was able to debate again. And um, I met Genovia and, um, you know, at first we were not friends. We just were like, we were in the same class. It's not that we weren't friends, but we were not like thick as thieves. But then over time, as we like began to blossom and like, like it was just like literally we were all we had and like a school of thousand. It was just like me and her. And like, you know, then our friendship started to uh, blossom outside of school, which then was like how we like started to participate in the ballroom scene um and meet like people within the house and ball family communities which kind of molded and shaped like who i am today um so and genovia is still my friend today we've been friends for over 15 years and my sister she's more than a friend she's my sister and um like i feel like that was just like out of everything I experienced, I feel like for me to come into myself and really be able to actualize who I am as a Black trans woman, it was essential that I meet Genovia. Um, And that's my story. I can't go back to my childhood or even my teens to be like, oh, I remember like seeing a person who was a reflection of myself. You know what I mean? Like in in my black transness, in that identity, and at those intersections, um, and to be even like even someone to be like, I want to be like them when I get older, right? I didn't have that model, 
and that's why I'm visible. Like, like literally because of that, I feel like um, I think it's important. Perhaps I would have, maybe, maybe I would have, maybe I wouldn't have, but maybe I would have been better off if I had that model, right? Or seen like seen myself growing up. Um, and probably not even as a child, but even today, like the way I navigate things, right? I probably would do them in a more healthy way today if I had that back then. <laughs> so that's why I'm visible, right? Because I just have no choice but to be visible for my own health and well-being. I have to be seen. You know, there's been so many years of me hiding who I was, even like downplaying who I was not talking with enough sass because I didn't want to offend people in my space, not switching the way I wanted to switch because I didn't want to offend the men walking down my block or get harassed by the men walking down my block, not wearing my hair the way I wanted to wear it because I didn't want to um, make any women feel uncomfortable, making them seem like I want to be like them. These are things that I had to navigate from even things that I have to navigate today, but it was very difficult navigating as a child when it was like a dream inside of you, right? And you're suppressing it and you're trying to, mold, like I literally went to an all boys school to try to be more of a man, right? Uh, and anyone who, like people, I don't, people don't know that about me. They probably would never even assume that I did something like that based off of who I am and how I, exists right but it's something that i did and that's why i'm visible because i don't want like kids having to to do that you know what i mean like i said when i did that that was one of the worst experiences of my life being in a class with all boys like i was like first of all i've been in school from first well from kindergarten to eighth grade and all my friends were always girls why the hell would i go to an all boys school why would my mother let me go to old boy school? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so that's why I'm visible so that people could just know that I'm out here and, you know, I exist. And I'm also visible, honestly. And what I say is, like, I really like to be real with the person I am. Um, no sugarcoating it because um, I'm a full person who is who has great things about her, but I have my flaws, I have my vices, <laughs> just like everyone. Um, and I like to display that um, because I think that, you know, humanity is not imperfection. I think humanity comes when people are flawed and they, um, they live in spite of their flaws, right? And they live, like, and are true to themselves in that. So we're human we're, we're we're not perfect so that's why i like to be visible and the reason why i like the work that i do and i'm so passionate about it is because like i remember fighting for those kids like you're not gonna bully them right so it's like this has been a part of my dna my fabric all of my life where like i just been an advocate for people um always for what's right equal treatment equal protection equal you're not gonna bully me you're not gonna bully them we're just gonna exist if you bully them then you have to feel the wrath of me that was just like the way that i operated and the reason why i created my cookout was because um 
I've so literally it came out of um, me getting tired of being associated with other people's work and like other others people's impact on the community and people calling me to uh, uh, like advance their cause and I was like you know what not only am, I'm not just tired of it like I have just so much to give what is Gia's what am I going to give? I know I give my visibility. I give my story. People see me. They follow me. They get inspired. But what can I literally, how can I use my resources, my connections that I've garnered in the community to give back to people and make people smile? And I felt like, especially during like, you know, this time, Black trans women needed it the most. I felt that when COVID was happening, like, you know, for me, the only, the I kept saying to myself, even when we're experiencing Black, the even when we're experiencing civil unrest because of, like, racial issues, even when we're experiencing a global public health pandemic, um, Black trans women still were getting shot and murdered around this country, and no one was saying anything about it. Um so I said, what best way to um, breathe life into the community by celebrating some of the most marginalized among us? And um, I, um, I understand and I am, I always try to like put myself in the shoes of like some of these black trans women who experience the, these like egregious forms of violence, um, because I don't think that's, that's not what my experience. Uh, I am a black trans woman. It could be my experience, but it's not. I haven't been, I haven't had that experience. And I was just like, I know they will want to be celebrated. I know they will want the communities that we frequent, the communities that we offer the mother, the communities that we pour so much love into, the communities that we hurt sometimes to celebrate us because we um, deserve it. And we have historically celebrated all the people in our community we have supported as black women supported black women and fought for our causes we've supported black gay men and like a lot of their causes so it was like you know i don't want it to be a space of activism or about i said i want people like literally to come turn up let's we're black so we're going to do a cookout right because we're black also my cookout is going to be in the hood because this is where we live. We live here. Like, I'm tired of doing events in the village in New York City. I don't live in the village. I live in East... Well, I lived in East New York at the time. And I was like, I walk down the street every day and they need to see me. Like, they need to see that, you know, there's people who love and support us. They need to see that, you know, it's not just me coming in my building every day. No, there's a whole community of us. And I really achieved just that. Like, not only did I get the point across that we can mobilize and celebrate Black trans women and, like, literally create a space where, like, the girls are dancing, twerking in the park. Like, this is, a, like, a park, a banshee kind of park, a hood park. And we can do that. And also, 
the people around us will see that and they will be like, yo, like, wow. And like, it was funny because like people in the community that seen me around, like was coming up to me, like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. Right. Well, I'm so happy to see this. Right. Even like some, like, I remember like there was these guys who were playing tennis and they like came and was like, like they just become, came a part of the cookout. You know, it was like literally like a community event. It was like, honestly, um, if I ever did something that was so meaningful, um, it was that because I was able to like see the results of it. Um, a lot of black trans women and people who supported the event because it was truly a community um, supported. And the name of the event was Gia in collaboration with friends because I was using my platform and my visibility, but I wanted everyone to have stake in it. And um, it was truly that, a collaborative, a collaborative event. And everyone helped out and made it a beautiful event. Black trans women, I said, don't pick up a, we were catering to you today. This was, this was the time. And um, I, after the event, I like met someone, like literally like just a person, like my girlfriend Brazier, like I did not know her before the event. She came up to me at the event and was like, I needed this. Like, I needed this. Thank you. And from that, like, we developed a whole sisterhood from that event. Um, so that was the, like, um, that's when I was like, okay, this event was successful. It worked. And we must continue. So it will be an annual event that I will do every year, no matter the scale, right? Of course, we wanted to get bigger, hopefully bring it to other cities if possible. Um, but right now, we're just going to stay in New York City in Brooklyn. And we're going to have a banshee cookout every year in a hood park. Um, and we're going to exist, you know what I mean? And, like, bring what you got to bring if you got problems. You know, I, I, safety is first, but, like, I bring it. We're not going to hide. Like, we're not going to go to Chelsea to have a cookout because we don't live in Chelsea. You know what I mean? I'm tired of that. So that's that's where that's where my work, like, around, like, visibility and also, like, advocacy at this point is centered around. I think that we, um, like, as, like, a community, um, you know, and, like, the listeners of this podcast, uh, we really need to, all of us need to be more intentional about learning about other people, right, on a person level, and, like, kind of removing yourself and remove, like, literally remove yourself from that process and like literally learn about people love the people you learn about and do what you can to like uplift those people and um, provide those people with the space that you can to make them be able to live um, better and be better one thing I tell myself is like sometimes I tell myself how can you show up for a cause greater than yourself Right, because I have, and people like me oftentimes are not, um, people don't see us as a cause greater. So I, even in my identity at on the intersections that I ex exist on, I always say like, how can I show up 
for a cause greater than myself, be it um, going to visit a friend when I don't want to because I know they need me, um, be it um, donating some of my time, some of my resources to um, something when I want to just buy some makeup or get my hair done. Like, these are, like, the, these are the things that kind of fulfill, and it makes you feel really good when you do it in those moments, when you don't want to, (laughs) you know what I mean? And then you're like, oh, I just did that. I showed up for a cause greater than myself, and, like, you know what? Like, I can say, like, I'm a good person, you know, at the end of the day, or I'm trying to be, (laughs) and, um, that's what like that's what I let that's what kind of like guides my um how I treat others, right? Um and just like really kind of removing myself. Because I could like you know, I could make it a we could make it a pity party for Gia. We can, we really can. Um, but like I just I don't want it to be. And I want to, you know, exist and, and be resilient through like my struggles. Um I'm gonna speak about them, but I want to really understand and know that like i always say that there's always another bitch standing in the back that will give you a story that will rock your mind you know what i mean that you would be like okay i don't want to experience that ever um and those are the causes greater than yourself that we can and oftentimes investigate and discover like how we can show up for them I'd never thought that this would be at those moments, you know, in those moments, like I was this, like literally like my, like the way I live, like, and I, I'm going to say this and this may sound really fucked up. I don't even care. If I died today, I lived a great life. Like I'm only 30 years old, but like, I remember being so young and like really like not loving myself and like really not thinking I was beautiful and like all the things that I did not think I am that today, like, and I see it. Um, like, I didn't think this was a possibility, like literally did not. Like when I was going into the all boys school to become more of a man, I did not think that I would be a woman. And that's how I always felt. So um, I always say like the stuff that I tell myself that I've been telling myself, cause I've, it hasn't been easy. Um, when I was like 25 years old, like that was 25, 26, that was like the worst two years of my life. Had to be emotionally. I don't know what I was going through because it wasn't, I, it was, it was like mental health, like going through something. Like nothing changed, just my emotional well being was at the lowest point and I did not want to live anymore. I was just like, you could just, you could throw this away and I would be fine with that. But, I was telling myself with the support of, you know, certain friends, just keep pushing, girl. This too shall pass. You know, this too shall pass. Like one day, you know, and building myself up to just weather that storm. You know what I mean? Not give up, not give in. And um, like, like 29 was like the best year of my life. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And like, these are the best times of my life. So, you know what I mean? That's what I would just tell myself, like, push, push. Like, I literally remember, like, there have been times where like, I've been just broken and I'm just literally sobbing, like, Gia, just push, just keep, like, keep pushing, push, go, 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 go. Go, 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 like go, like literally telling myself, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. So um, just those times because I just and also um, just um, be kind to yourself. Right. Because in those like I just remember, like, you know, my trauma around the um, like foster care stuff is that like I felt always and I honestly I still do <laughs> that I was the most loyal to my mother and I've always been that way like I've always been the one most loyal like I was the only one that did not they were gonna send me to another home because they was like this one oh no I was like you're not my mother I'm not doing this but I felt I felt that because of who I am um, I was treated very differently at times and oftentimes bad um, and I felt like, how could you, the person who, the child who was the most loyal to you, how could you just, like, do these things to me because of, like, who I am, right? Um, and I had to, you know, because oftentimes, you know, like, these are not things that I've held with my family um, because some people are not just not where you are. You know, you can't have, like, accountability conversations with everyone. You know, I've been to, uh, like, I've been all over the world. I've met people from all over the world. Some people have never left, you know, the confines of their neighborhoods. And sometimes those are the people in our families. <laughs> so, like, just because I'm here doesn't mean that you're going to be here. So I need to figure out ways that I can heal and it just may not be conventional or it may not be the way I would want to do it, but I have to really think about healing and I'm still healing. Like I said, I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'm just still figuring out ways that, you know, I can keep pushing and keep going. Thank you, Gia, for joining us in the circle today. To learn more about Gia's work, visit her Instagram at love.gia or visit our website, queercirclepodcast.com, for this information and more. Music from today's episode was provided by Purple Fluoride. You can find Purple Fluoride's other works anywhere streaming can be found. (laughs) 